0: I invite you, either in body or in spirit, to rise as you are able for the reading of the scripture lesson, from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Keep in mind, I always like to remind you when you read these epistles, you're snooping other people's mail. we still have something important to learn. however, so let us pay attention for a word or a phrase that would jump out to us and grab our attention today. Maybe God is meeting us there. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it is not wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish but we speak god's wisdom secret and hidden which god decreed before the ages of our glory none of the rulers of this age understand this for if they had they would not have crucified the lord of glory but as it is written what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Now, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything even the depths of God for what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within so also no one comprehends what it is truly God's except the spirit of God Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught with human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's spirit, for they are foolishness to them. And they are unable to understand that because they are spiritually discerned those who are spiritual discern all things and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny for who has known the mind of the lord so as to instruct him but we have the mind of christ here ends the reading may god grant us wisdom and courage or interpretation and action for follow-up, amen. I've said it to you these previous weeks, I'll say it again, the church at Corinth was a hot mess. Underlying this hot mess, There were lots of things going on, but at least four identifiable main difficulties as I look at it. A basic failure in relating to one another in love. A dramatic failure of the local church leaders to act considerately in the face of their competition for status and influence. Third, an arrogant theological reasoning that denied the importance of the physical body. We might call this Christian intellectualism. And then tensions arising from the pressures that Paul's teaching about sex was placing on these Corinthian converts. Yes, sex. Each of these problems would have been bad enough. But when they are all present together, the combination was toxic. Now, if this community were around today, this week, I'll confess, I got quite a chuckle of imagining there might be a reality TV show about them. I wondered maybe we would call it something like church folks gone wild. I don't know. And I can giggle, and you can giggle, and we can giggle, but I'm not sure Paul would be giggling about it if Paul were here, because judging by his rhetoric, it came to a screeching halt. Right about verse 14, I, he wasn't very happy with them. Did you catch it? Those who are unspiritual. <clears throat> People, that's you, he's telling some of them. Those who are unspiritual, they don't receive the gifts of God's Spirit because they're not spiritual. And so it's foolishness to them. In other words, you folks get so caught up tightly in your quarrels that you don't have the spiritual sense God gave you at birth. You've regressed. Is it possible to go backwards in the faith? It appears as though it were. Because the last thing he says in very first 16, it sounds like he's calling them all part of the fam here, but he's really not. It's a one-sided use of the word we. Has anyone ever done that to you? Oh, we're going to the store, and by we... They mean you, you're gonna run and fetch the things from the store. It's kind of like that. He's kind of not really not lumping everyone in there into getting it. He's saying, we who have the mind of Christ, we get it. Not everyone has the mind of Christ, he's saying. Now I'll save the really scathing parts of how I know this for next week, but just consider one verse further than where we stopped today. The very first verse of the third chapter where Paul continues, he said, I couldn't even talk to you like spiritual people. I had to talk to you like babies. But here today, Paul is continuing on his theme of wisdom, which we talked about last week, and he's making quite a statement. In case you missed it, I'll spell it out for you this way. He's telling them, just because folks profess faith in Christ does not make them Christ-like. Ouch. A life of a person who professes faith in Christ but continues to be more driven by certain influences in the culture than they are Christ is, you know, like competition and arrogance and lousy relationships with people at different socioeconomics and racial boundaries in themselves. Well, a person who doesn't get it, well, they're incapable of receiving and reflecting God's wisdom and compassion that we find in Christ. It's a problem that wasn't just with the Corinthians, it's alive and well today in Christian circles. For example, I regularly hear folks boast about how, quote, biblical they are in their worldview. And so when I hear those things as a Christian minister, my ears perk up and my eyes open real wide and sometimes I just stand in the corner try to be real quiet and I just watch it's not that I have it all figured out either don't get me wrong but it automatically alerts me when someone tosses that out there as a point of pride how biblical they're striving to be because I assume if someone's striving to be really biblical that they will be really Christ-like as well but amazingly that's not always the case Because it's entirely possible. We've proven it, the Corinthians have proven it, we've proven it since then dozens and dozens of times. And when I'm not living right, when I'm not thinking right, when I'm not following the spirit right, I've illustrated it myself. It's entirely possible and actually quite common to quote lots of Bible verses that happen to align with personal agendas and contextualize these scriptures more according with my cultural opinions than my Christ-like ones. It happens every day, unfortunately. But to be Christ-like, we know, is to love our neighbor as close as possible to ourselves. To be Christ-like is to seek to empty ourselves of the need to correct the behavior of others and instead ask ourselves the toughest of questions about our own attitudes, our own behaviors, our own habits, our own viewpoints, and in relationship to others to seek ways to love and serve them just as they are, not how we would have them to be. So when we Christians become convinced that we are the only authority on truth, that anyone who opposes us is evil, and that things will only get better in our world if Christians are sitting in all the places of power That is when we know we are no longer worshiping God or Jesus, we're worshiping our cultural preference of what it means to be a Christian. As a side note, how we worship is not nearly as important as how we walk. And so while worship should be helpful, it is not as direct in our discipleship as our actions and our attitudes, and particularly towards our neighbors. And so to be Christ-like, which is the goal, more than anything else, one must be humble in our posture towards our neighbors, a downwardly mobile motion, serving and loving and emptying oneself so far that we, we go down even lower than the lowest of the low folks in life that we see with, that are suffering so that we can lift up from underneath to help restore the fallen and bring love to those who have been ignored and overlooked and sometimes even stomped on. But too often we get caught up in this legalistic, purity code-driven stuff that's less about Jesus and it's more about our cultural preferences and what gripes us off more than what we're for. There is a much more excellent way that awaits us. This incredible potential, I dare say, awaits everyone because as we're told in the scriptures, 100% of human beings, no matter how we feel about them, are all created in God's image. You will never look into the eyes of another person who was not created in God's image. That can be challenging at times to recognize. Sometimes it can be hidden very deeply with people who have made terrible choices and become ensnared in the repercussions of their evil choices. But nevertheless... Paul, I think, is updating this language, the image of God. He's calling it the mind of Christ. And Paul mentions it, the mind of Christ here in his letter to the Corinthians in our scripture lesson, but also, and perhaps more famously and in greater detail, Paul mentions it in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 5 and following. That it's, in fact, become so famous, this little portion of Philippians chapter 2 is known by Bible scholars and theologians as the kenosis. That is a big fancy Greek word, That Paul uses in this Philippians chapter 2 passage to spell out what the mind of Christ looks like for us. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 and following compared to what we heard in 1 Corinthians 2. They correlate. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Listen, let the same mind. Let the same mind that was be in you, that was in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, who, this is the kenosis word, emptied himself even unto death on a cross. Now listen to the last bits of the three verses from our scripture lesson today from 1 Corinthians. Verse 14, those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit. Verse 15, those who are spiritual can discern all things. Verse 16, we, meaning those who are spiritual, have the mind of Christ, not as individuals only, but as God's people together as the community of God, we have the mind of Christ. Now, our ancestors in the faith taught us from the earliest of creation stories that we are all created in God's image, as I said earlier. And I think, as I mentioned, Paul is updating this language with the phrase, instead of image of God, he's using the phrase mind of Christ. And we have this gift. Every person has this gift deep within us. A divine mirror of sorts. That metaphor helps me. I think Paul was pointing out and calling it the mind of Christ. And in this mirror, this mind of Christ... The mind of Christ knows us and loves us from all eternity and does nothing coercive, by the way, to ever force us to be more Christ-like, but rather reflects back our actions, reflects back our attitudes, reflects back what is already there. A light is another metaphor I love to think about when I think about the mind of Christ within us. A light only illumines what is already there, what is already happening. It it helps me to think of the mind of Christ as a mirror or as a light. It's inside us. And so when we are operating in a posture of upward mobility, self-promotion, greed, power, and status-seeking, all of that mirror, that light, is kind of hidden underneath a thick cloud of selfishness and ambition. And yet sometimes, even without people having the right labels for it, maybe the right Christianese labels for it, the mind of Christ becomes quite easily seen through humility and in humble and compassionate people. And it becomes quite accessible for us. We can see it. We can name it. We can feel it. We know we're a part of it when we get it right. And the mind of Christ is seen in the place within us where wisdom, that is, Knowing the truth and compassion, which is doing the truth, meet. Compassion is also a verb. Love is very much a verb in the scriptural sense. Action. And so the mind of Christ is the place where our walk, to put it another way, and our talk come into intersection. They align. And then something miraculous happens. You ever heard of the word synergy? Yeah? You know what a synergy is? It's when one plus one doesn't just equal two. I mean, everybody knows one plus one just equals two. Preacher, come on. Yeah, sure. But when we give up the shallow end of the swimming pool, beginner level legalism, shaming stuff that people who profess faith in Christ so often get caught in, and instead focus on demonstrating compassion and love and, and action, uh, especially for the least of these, something miraculous happens within us. We find the mind of Christ, and so it's mysterious. Somehow, one plus one doesn't just equal two when we get it right. It might equal three, or five, or hundred. It's kind of spooky and surprising at first, but when it's more love, when it's more justice than you thought was possible coming through you, when it's more peace, when it's more goodness, when it's more patience or kindness or the fruits of the Spirit, when it's more flowing through you out into the world towards those around us, that surprise quickly turns into delight once we realize what's going on, because all of a sudden, it's not just one plus one equals two, there's a holy synergy, a mystery. A mystery. It's almost magical. That's how you know you're living from your center, that place the Apostle Paul called the mind of Christ, that place where one plus one equals more than just two. Speaking of having the mind of Christ, Father Richard Rohr said, a transformative religion must touch us at this primitive brainstem level or it is not transformative at all. It's what Paul was telling the Corinthians. When we care more about proving a point to someone with whom we disagree than we do improving the quality of their lives, the mind of Christ is beyond us. When we care more about converting someone to Christianity or just to our way of thinking rather than demonstrating selfless Christian compassion for them, the mind of Christ is beyond us. When we care more about worshiping Jesus, are you listening, than we do about following Jesus, the mind of Christ is beyond us. By the way, he never once asked us to worship him. He always asks us to follow him. I'm for worship, but only if it points us toward faithful action and following. That's why we meet when we leave this place. We enter into service. This is the place we draw strength for that journey. And so what God needs most are not more people to defend the faith or to memorize more Bible verses just for the sake of memorizing more Bible verses. Or, as hard as Chad and Eula and I try to design the smoothest, most exhilarating order of worship. That's important. But only if it's joined with the other part. What God needs are more people to attempt to embody the mind of Christ in how we treat our neighbors and how we view the world with great love and humility, emptying ourselves, seeking to serve first, not waiting to be served. History has been continually graced with people who somehow learned to act beyond their own selfish interest and for the greater good of the world. You know who I'm talking about. Those kind of people that make you say, wow, these people were clearly operating within a power much larger than their own. The Gandhis of the world, the Oscar Schindlers of the world, the Martin Luther King Juniors of the world, the Rosa Parks of the world, the Mother Teresas, the Dorothy Days, the Oscar Romeros, the Cesar Chavez's, and many others. Some of these folks, they might not have even had Christian labels for what they were experiencing, but I have to presume that all of these folks had their moments in which they came to their senses and they stopped giving in to the patterns of competition and power and greed and self-service and self-soothing activities that the culture around them even church culture sometimes promote and instead they dug deep within themselves and with others in their community and they learned that there is a better a more excellent way it's what paul called the mind of christ it's too much for some christians Sadly, many Christian faith communities, they don't teach about the mind of Christ. They don't challenge their members to mirror and actually imitate the actions and attitudes of Jesus by favoring especially the last, the least, and the lost. It's more about budgets, and it's more about our little group and our little familiar traditions that are meaningful to us. But friends, that's that's just half of the mind of Christ. That's the... Shallow end of the Christian swimming pool kind of stuff. Have you ever been to a swimming party? You'll notice most of the noise and roughhousing comes out of the shallow end. (laughs) Because when you get in the deep end, ain't nobody got time to squabble. (laughs) You're swimming. And that's the place where God calls us. There are deeper waters to swim in the life of faith than just making noise in the shallow end. The mind of Christ awaits us where the waters seem deep and even a little scary. They require us to give up something comfortable in favor of something courageous. Having the mind of Christ means following Jesus with our actions, not just singing pretty songs about Him. I'm in favor of pretty songs. We sang some of our favorites today. Let's keep doing it. But also we can follow Jesus with our lives. Having the mind of Christ is a vocation to share the fate of God for the life of the world. To allow what God for some reason allows. And to use for some reason what God uses. And, I don't know how to tell you, to suffer ever so slightly at least. What God must feel for our neighbors when they are suffering. Now often this has very little to do with believing the right stuff about God or Jesus or about having the most Bible verses memorized or singing the prettiest songs about God or Jesus. I'm in favor of all those things, by the way. But only so far as they lead us to self-emptying Christ-like love, the place where love and action meet. The mind of Christ. That's the place. If the songs we sing, the Bible verses we quote, the things we say, we believe, no matter how pretty we shine them up about God or Jesus, do not serve to make us become more Christ-like. They are, as the Apostle Paul says elsewhere, a banging gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, it's just noise. Sitting in a church sanctuary. Okay, now you thought i had been meddling. Here we go. I'm on a really metal. I can hide behind this thing if you throw stuff. Sitting in a church sanctuary, memorizing Bible verses, singing the very best spiritual songs or hymns, having the best thought-out, purtiest theology will no more make you Christ-like in and of themselves than sitting in a McDonald's will turn you into a hamburger. It may make it a lot easier to smell like a hamburger. We're not going to talk about how some of you smell. Don't worry. If it's a little like, the, like Christ, I'm good with it. Don't get me wrong. But at some point, we have to push away from the dinner table. At some point, we have to walk outside the restaurant. At some point, we have to go where the rubber hits the road and we have to put into practice what we've been singing and praying and studying about. And that place that where faithful knowledge and action and attitude all meet, that place is the mind of Christ. And that, my friends, is where God calls us to live and to operate. The late Frederick Bigner described it like this. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Paul calls it the mind of Christ. Jesus called it the kingdom of God, a way of living in this world whereby we are transformed and are transforming the world together. What do you say we make a habit of meeting there? But not just to stay, but to do it as we are going. So help us, God. Amen.